In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory, Glory be, be to, to the, the Father, Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. As we look ahead to Sunday, we are entering into the week of Advent 3, which if you are following along in your Advent candles or Advent wreath at home, this is the Rose Week or the Pink Week. Uh, it is rose because it's a lightning of the color of violet or purple. Um, and it is that lightened color because it is also the week where the intro begins with the word rejoice. And so historically, the church has observed the third Sunday of Advent and the fourth Sunday of Lent as a rejoicing Sunday because you're just over halfway through the penitential season, which means that we are also getting ever closer to the celebration of Christmas. So what does that mean for us for this week? Well, when you come, uh, you'll see that the pyramids are changed to that rose color. And there's a, just a sort of sense of feel about how the service goes because of that continuous theme of joy that works its way in all that is happening. For the readings for this week, the epistle then comes from James chapter 5. And James chapter 5 is we're going to have a selection of that, verses 7 through 11. And he's reminding us about this theme of patience. And so as we read this text, that becomes his main point, is that the Christian remains patient in the midst of all the things that are happening around them. And so, Paul, why don't you go ahead and start us off by reading James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he begins with the phrase, be patient. When I read this, I can't help but think, how effective is that really? It's like telling somebody to calm down. It doesn't normally work. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> The last time somebody told you to calm down, I doubt you took a breath and were like, oh, good, I'm better now. Um, <laughs> and I think the same thing happens with patience uh, or being patient. But patience is the theme that he's going to come back around to here because patience not only teaches us something, it teaches us something about God and it confesses something to the world. When, um, when we think about patience, though, it, it's interesting because we can appear much more patient than we are. And uh, the thing I like to think about with that is one of our neighbors, after our last child was born, made Erica a diaper bag, and she quilted it. And the fabric that she chose for the outside of it 
says patience is what mothers have in public. And it's just got this neat little humor to it that a mother in public is able to just kind of hold things together because everybody's watching while knowing that at home, that's probably not exactly the same response that you would have to the activity that your children are engaging in. And so um, patience is what mothers have in public. Um, another variation of that is normally around springtime, uh, somebody on Facebook will post just a reminder to all of those with young children, your windows are now open and the people on the sidewalk can hear you. <laughs> um, but I think what's getting that at that, or the reason I bring this up, is because when we think about patience as a Christian, is it does become an outward testimony of our faith and what we understand God to be doing in our own lives and in the world. Because by being patient and waiting on God, we're able to confess to the world, I'm not worried about this because someone greater than I has things figured out for me. And so James is using this idea of patience to help his reader understand that there is a thing that we are waiting for. And what is it that we are to be patient for? Well, he comes around to it later uh, in the next verse. He says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Right. And so we're to be patient for the coming of the Lord because God has promised that it is with the coming of the Lord that all of those things that cause us distress and anguish and pain and suffering in this world, all of that is ultimately resolved in Christ and resolved with his second coming. But there's nothing we can do to hurry it along. And so he now turns to a, a metaphor um, to kind of explain what that patience is supposed to look like. And he chooses an agricultural metaphor uh, to be able to make his point. So this is verse um, 7 still. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Uh, now, Paul, both you and I grew up on a farm, and there is something about that being patient, that farmers, in order to be on a farm and rely on that uh, agricultural cycle of thing, you've got to be okay with just waiting for it to be ready. Well, not just that, but you don't know what kind of harvest you're going to get that year. So it's, you, you're really putting all your trust in God's hands. You may, you may have a, a absolute failure of a crop, but it's out of your control. Even you, if you've done everything right, correct, correct. you can it's, have an it, absolute it is failure out, of completely out of your hands. Right. Um, I can remember my grandpa telling me one time, all you can do is put the seed in the ground at the right time, and the rest is up to God. Um, and for the community that James is writing to, they're much more closely tied to that agricultural life because people would have been very close to their food source and they would have been able to understand this. Sometimes I wonder if these metaphors are lost in today's world. Oh, I, I think that's very a very real possibility because we're so far removed from right. from being uh, an agrarian economy or just, just in touch with, with right. how it works. Because I think even people who live in a rural area, they might be surrounded by the farms, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily engaged in the agricultural process. And so they're aware of it, but especially with those who live in an urban area, why can't you just go out and get it? 
we, we miss the seasonality of things. And it's not just the seasonality of it. It's that it's not ready until it's ready. Um, yes, the, the grain harvest might be the middle of July every year. But is it going to be the middle of July is like July 10th through the 15th? Or is it the middle of July, July 15th through the 30th? Both of those involve the middle of July. And you can't say, well, it's convenient for me to thrash on the 12th through the 14th, so that's when it's going to be. You know, and that was, that was a lesson that was always very hard for me growing up because my friends would say, hey, can we, can we go do this on, on Thursday? And I would often have to answer them, well, I don't know. We may have to make hay that day. Right. And, and it, it was just a, it was a hard lesson to learn, but it's certainly a valuable one because it, re, it reminds you that um, our time is not God's time. And right. um, if it was time to make the hay, you had to do it on that day. And maybe in our lives, maybe um, um, our health will be good or maybe poor, but we have to accept it in that time and, and deal with it in that time. Well, and I grew up with dairy cattle, and I can remember my dad saying over and over again, because there were times when he was sick or didn't feel well or it was hot or it was really cold, it doesn't matter what's going on. The cows need to be milked every morning and every night, and that's just the way it's going to be. It doesn't matter what else is happening in the world. You've got to be there for that. And it's you're, when you're tied to that, I think there's a greater understanding of this patience on God's time that he's going to provide, but it happens according to his schedule. He gives us time and seasons for our sake, not for his, um, and chooses to operate inside of them so that we can begin to grasp a little bit of what he's doing or who he is. Um, but this patience that he's talking about is that patience of it's coming soon. The hay is going to need to come in. Well, when? Soon. Things are going to be harvested. The end of the season is going to come. Well, when? Soon. And that's, that's all we can say about it. But he has a warning for us in this. Um, in verses 8 and 9, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I like that establish your hearts idea of, of just commit to being patient and waiting. Um, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is already standing at the door. What James is getting at here is don't blame other people for things that aren't going well. Um, he's talking about being content in where you are at, being content in the patience. But don't look around and say, well, if you would do this, then everybody would be better off. Or if you would do this, then maybe God would come back sooner. You don't get to make those decisions. Only God does. But God knows what you're doing as you're waiting. Um, if you are waiting patiently and doing it in a way that is constructive and kind and loving toward the neighbor, or are you doing it in a way that's destructive and, and destabilizing to the community, those are things that he knows because he's already standing at the door. Um, earlier this week, uh, Paul and I were talking, and... Um, I shared with him that I had a Sunday school teacher who mentioned um, one time when the Sunday school class was being a bit disruptive. If the Lord came back right now, would, do you think he'd be happy with what you were doing? And I think that's what James is getting at here. Would the Lord be happy with the patience you're displaying, or would he be displeased by the fact that you are just causing problems as you wait? 
And well, he's really offering two lessons in patience here. I mean, patience with, with the Lord, because we don't know when he's coming again to make everything mm -hmm. right, but patience with one another. Right. Yeah, patience with one another as well. And that, that's very right. Be, um, making accommodations for those around us so that recognizing we're all going through this together as we wait. Because we always, we always get along perfectly and we always, we always um, uh, tolerate everyone else's different opinions oh, about that's things right. and ways of doing things. Yes, we rejoice in nothing more than somebody <laughs> who has a different idea than us, right? Um, then he gives us another example, this time not from agriculture, but from those who've come before. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So he's looking back now and saying, look at the prophets that have come before us. Well, if you look at the prophets, one of the first things you have to recognize is things were not easy for them. A lot of them were killed. They were persecuted. And yet they were patient because they kept talking about and looking forward to, to the coming of the Lord. And how can that serve as an encouragement to those of us who need to be patient today? They, they, may, have, um, they may have persevered, uh, but it doesn't mean that they didn't maybe put voice to their frustration and their mm -hmm. impatience. And, and I think we do that. Um, but we're forgiven for that right. because the ultimate lesson to be learned there is, is that we just we need to pray for more patience, work on being more patient, um, and persevere. Um, but we will, it, it's a test. It is. But it's also okay in the midst of that to ask God to hurry it up. Um, how long, O oh Lord, is a very common prayer. How long, O oh Lord, will you wait before you... Um, Bring judgment on those who persecuted the church. How long, O oh Lord, will you continue to allow us to suffer? And it's okay to recognize that what is coming is better than what we have now and to look forward to that moment and pray that God would hurry it up. Now, out of his mercy, he doesn't because he's giving as many people as possible the opportunity to repent and believe, but the time is coming and we can pray that it comes even more quickly. So the point, the next thing that he uses is he talks about the steadfastness of Job. Now, Job, of course, is the story of, of the man who lost everything because Satan said, well, if he lost everything, he would no longer believe. And God says, yes, he will. So Satan takes it all away, and he still believes, and then he ends up being blessed in the end. But he's using the steadfastness of Job. The point of this is not Job. The point of this is Job is patient in the midst of affliction, and he brings voice to his lament, and it's okay. How much more of this can I endure? Um, but in the midst of that, he is able to, and this is what gives Job the power, uh, the, the, the book of Job, the power that it has, is even in the midst of incredible tragedy, he is able to speak compassion and mercy about God. At least he continues to sustain my life. At least he continues to do this. And that becomes a wonderful example of patience. The recognizing that God has not promised that life in this world would be easy or fun or happy, but he does promise that it can be filled with contentment, joy, and a recognition of the provision that he gives. Right, that his, that his, his mercy and compassion are, are infinite. 
and and that I think is the the real point of uh, of what he was trying to illustrate there. Uh, in in doing a little bit of reading about this, I also learned that this is the only place where Job is mentioned in the New Testament. I did not know that. Yeah. So um, he's not mentioned in Hebrews in the Hall of Hall of Faith. Not if the not if the annotations huh. in my study Bible. Are I would correct. assume that your study Bible is correct, but I'm. I guess I'm a little surprised. He, he's quoted somewhere else, but but this is the only place he's mentioned by he's name. Mentioned which by is, name. But but it's, it also is a, is a reminder that they um, his audience here. By the way, who is James' audience when he's writing uh, this book? James is writing to the broader Christian church. He's okay. not writing to a specific congregation. Okay. okay. Um, that they would certainly be um, literate in these uh, in the Old Testament and know the story of Job. It would be oh, well yes. known to them. They would, they would definitely know. Um, I guess it, in, in thinking about it, it's not terribly surprising because um, the Old Testament characters that we tend to grab a hold of aren't necessarily the same ones that the, are referenced a lot in the New Testament. Um, it's just an interesting thing that's developed over time as we, as we look at those, hold those two things together. Like uh, the early church did a lot more with Jonah than what we do, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as we think about patience towards the end of time, um, what have you chosen as a hymn that carries that theme forth? Patience wasn't the, the operative word that I, that I looked for in picking a hymn for today. Um, what I chose is one that's probably a lesser known Advent hymn for us. It's number 355 in the Lutheran service book, if you have one handy. It's, O Savior, Rend the Heavens Wide. And this would be a second week in a row where on the podcast we've looked at a hymn that's probably really only no, well-known in our corner of Lutheranism. Last week it was the one on John the Baptist, When All the World Was Cursed. Both that tune and that text are really something that they're really in, in our corner of, of Christianity and actually of Lutheranism um, is, is sung. The, um, the, uh, the text for this did not appear in English until... 1969. I don't know if you recall, there was a hymnal supplement that came out in 1969 that were some test materials that eventually a lot of them ended up in Lutheran worship or the blue hymnal. So um, uh, it was it was only known in German up until that time. Uh, the melody um, I came to know because it was um, it was uh, a famous choral setting by Johannes Brahms, um, and so I thought, oh. He, he had a, a very um, keen interest in, in church music, even though his spirituality was kind of all over the place. He, he didn't quite rise to the level of Bach in terms of his, his theological understanding and then actually were able to work that into his music. Uh, but, but this particular hymn was written by uh, Friedrich von Spee, who interestingly was um, a, a Jesuit, a Catholic Jesuit, and then Lutherans, um, not long after that, kind of adopted this particular hymn. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting part of the history, especially since Spee himself um, was active in the Counter-Reformation. So things got tossed back mm-hmm. and forth there. And by the, uh, by the early 17th century, when he wrote this hymn, Lutherans had thought, well, you know, this is, this is a pretty good piece of poetry. We can, we can make use of that. Um, what I find encouraging uh, in these last decades is that we've shared a lot of material between denominations. Um, in fact, Catholics sing 
a mighty fortress. It's in a lot of their hymnals. And we've taken some things from them, um, uh, some many, many useful things uh, through the centuries. So there's that kind of cross-pollinization between uh, the denominations there. Also interesting about the author, um, Spey, is that he ministered to a lot of people who were accused of witch witchcraft. And this kind of puts it in a historical perspective that I hadn't thought about, because when you think about when that happened in this country, it was in that same period of time, mm -hmm. the, the, the early 17th century. And it didn't dawn on me that, oh, that same kind of thing was probably happening in Central Europe. And it was something that I think deeply affected him. And uh, uh, he was, was then um, made very aware of, of the, 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 the nature of good and evil in the world. And, and some of his text reflected that. Um, the tune is anonymous. We have no idea who, who wrote the tune. Um, named in German, O Heiland Reis die Himmel auf, which literally means, um, O Savior, you know, rip open the heavens, um, and which has come down to us, uh, O Savior, rend the heavens wide. This hymn fits kind of nicely with the James reading for a couple of, of, of reasons today. Um, stanzas two and three have some agricultural metaphors to them that uh, are, are kind of familiar. Um, Drop down, you clouds, the life of spring. Uh, to Jacob's line, rain down the king. Agriculture is very dependent on timely rains. And so this metaphor of the timely rains goes all the way through this text. Stanza three, O earth and flowering bud be seen, clothe hill and dale in garb of green. Bring forth, O earth, a blossom rare, our savior sprung from meadow fair. So. Uh, Christ is likened to um, a, a spring of life. This kind of ties it into um, Lohawa Rose, too. We talk about the stem of Jesse. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, once again, those agricultural metaphors are there that maybe we look past because we're not that much of, right. of, a, of an agrarian society anymore. Now, in Lutheran worship, was this text tied to this tune? Indeed it was. Indeed it was. It, it's always been tied to this tune. Um, and there's... Um, there is another text that's paired with this in the uh, ordination section. Maybe, maybe you recognize that one. Preach you the word. Um, oh yes. Uh, I, I can't remember the rest of the text, but it's an ordination text. It's the only other uh, pairing that I know of uh, with this particular text. But it's a very strong melody, so I think it, it fits that very well. Um, Interestingly, stanza four that we have in Lutheran service book was omitted in LW, the Blue Hymnal. Uh, and in LBW. And that's really unfortunate because it's a very strong stanza. O fount of hope, how long, how long? That was a question you mentioned before. Uh, we, we, in our impatience, we ask, when? You know, right. give us a sign. When will you come with comfort strong? O come, O come, your throne forego. Console us in our veil of woe. Um, kind of echoes of O come, O come, Emmanuel in there uh, uh, as well. Um, stanza six um, is very interesting because to me it, it uh, speaks more uh, to almost the Lenten season, that you could almost make a case that this could be sung during the Lenten season, the last two lines being, O come, lead us with mighty hand from exile to our promised land. I always think of the 
the exile metaphor as being much more a Lenten one because we think of the 40 days, the 40 years wandering in the, in the wilderness. On, at the Easter vigil, we hear the story of the crossing of the Red Sea and, and our deliverance from uh, uh, exile, wandering in this darkness and, and, and of sin. But once again, it ties Advent and Lent together in that kind of nice way. Um, Stanza seven was tacked onto the hymn by some anonymous person. It was not written by Spey. Uh, not that unusual of a of a happening uh, in the in the history of hymnody, where someone decides, well, I don't think it's really good to end end with uh, this last stanza that is about sin's dreadful doom. Maybe we need to add on something that's a little bit brighter in its in its um, sentiment. Um, so we don't have no idea who wrote that one. It's not a doxological stanza, which is off, often the last stanza of a hymn, but it's by somebody entirely different. But it does also push you into the promised land. It does. Why does it matter that we move from exile to the promised land? Well, because there we shall all our praises bring to sing to you our Savior King. Right. This hymn kind of turns our normal expectations upside down. So many hymns end with a reference to we're looking forward to heaven and for, and for just just um, our trials being over and we have that confidence of, of, of our reward in heaven. This hymn actually puts that right into the first stanza. You don't have to wait for it. O Savior, rend the heavens wide. Come down, come down with mighty stride. Unlock the gates. Uh, the doors break down. Psalm, Psalm 24, which is heard during our, our Advent season. Uh, Lift up your heads, O mighty gates. And then this last line, Unbar the way to heaven's crown. Open the doors. Let us mm -hmm. in. We're, we're ready to go uh, whenever that time is. So um, I propose for today, why don't we sing, um, why don't we sing stanzas one and four, which was the one that happened to be omitted, omitted and then was restored, um, and seven. How okay. One, four, and seven. <laughs> O Savior, rent the heavens wide. Come down, come down with mighty stride. Unlock the gates, the doors break down. Unbar the way to heaven's crown. O fount of hope, how long, how long? When will you come with comfort strong? Oh, come, oh, come, your throne forego. Console us in our veil of woe. There shall we all our praises bring and sing to you our Savior King. There shall we lodge you on the door forever and forevermore. Well, let us pray. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, us. have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please join us for worship this weekend. Our worship opportunities are at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and on Mondays at 6.30 p.m.